Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. And our goal today is every podcast is to share with you at least one proven business practice from someone who's lived that practice to help you build a more sustainable and profitable and purpose-driven company. All right, the adjectives to describe my guest today, extremely bright, charismatic, intense, boy, can he be intense, balanced, innovative, creative. I think I'll just I'll just add this on. I don't have it written down, but as I'm looking at his face here today via the video, I'm going to say risk taker. He is not afraid to take a calculated risk, and I've seen him do that a number of times. Ladies and gentlemen listening today, would you please help me welcome my good friend, Colin Crotty to the Ed Epley Experience. Welcome, Colin. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm flattered you asked me to join your podcast today. I am I am excited you're here. Whenever I do these events, especially with people I've been around for a long period of time, it's kind of weird because, you know, I've lived long enough that there are things that I know about people, (laughs) but there's certain things I've forgotten about people. So I've known you long enough that you fall into that latter category that I'm sure you're going to remind me of some stuff that I got. Oh my God. Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. I think it would be important for you to help the audience understand how far back we go and how long we've known each other, because that probably gives them some context. Well, it, it's been a while and it, it might date us each respectively, but I, I want to say, I was thinking about this the other day. I think the first time we met would have been 1997. So I had to reverse engineer time in my head to go back to when I believe I actually was introduced to you in the back building at our old corporate office at Van Dyne Karate. I believe, I believe it was 1997. The old corporate office, even before you'd moved down to the new one in uh, Springboro, huh? Wow. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Brant Pike. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Wow. Yep. 1997. Okay. So it's been some time. Well, tell the audience what you were doing then but and, and, the comp- and what that was about. Yeah. I mean, I think the simplest way to say it was, you know, I was on a track to be an industrial launderer. <laughs> I was the first of the fourth generation which was exciting. You know, when I was a kid, I I wanted to be one of three things. I I either wanted to be an astronaut, fly a plane, or work for uh, the family business and couldn't get into the Naval Academy or the Air Force Academy. And I had a a father and uh, a few of his brothers that I, I really admired and looked up to. So that was my career path. So I stumbled into that business and at the ripe old age of around 14 and up until I was in my mid 20s. So just fell in love with it, just had a real passion for everything we did. So it was exciting. It was a remarkable business. And the barrier to entry is pretty high to be in that that uniform and mat rental business. I can't imagine somebody saying, I'm going to start that business today, <laughs> right? I, I can't imagine somebody saying, let's, let's go ahead and start that. It, it would be immensely difficult. I wonder what the business has been like with the COVID crisis. You know, that's a good question. I, I, I do have some connections back from a few years past. And and I think, you know, you can look at some of the larger players in the space. Obviously, my heart, my head go right to CentOS. And 
they've done an exceptional job of diversification over the years. And I think a lot of organizations, you know, post-COVID world, as long as you're diversified, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And, and what I do know about CentOS is they've done just an exceptional job over the years of diversifying yep. their products and service offerings. So, yeah, I think they're doing okay. So so you were the fourth generation, which is very unusual in a business that, that the business even gets that far. But I still think of your dad and uncle as entrepreneurs in the truest sense of the word, even though they didn't start the business. And, and here you are, you know, where, where generally the, the children of entrepreneurs don't generally see the same level of success as did their parents or their, uh, their earlier family members. And yet you've, you've got the same entrepreneurial genes in you and, and done extremely well. Explain how you scratched that itch, because, I mean, you had a lot of options coming out of the the business when it sold to CentOS. How did you make the decision to go where you went? Well, I hope my kids don't hear that because, <laughs> you know, I think I think they've said, you know, they, they want to outperform me in whatever I do, whether that's going for a run or shooting hoops or getting behind a wakeboard boat. You know, it's a good question. I, you know, the itch, I, I, you're complimenting saying we do well. I, I think for me... I think probably one of the one of my traits, one of my flaws is my insecurity. I think one thing that I've learned from my father and his brothers, specifically Dan and Bob, you know, they never were satisfied. You know, they're always operated with that hunter mentality of always being able to do better. And, and a lot of that started and stopped with the relationships they had in their life, both personally and professionally. Right. And so for them, it, it was just a constant quest to make everybody around them better. And so, so for me, you know, when I had the chance to stay in the industry shortly after the company sold, it was a pretty easy decision because quite honestly, the only reason I was in that space was because of the family component and, and all of the people that we got out of bed every day to serve. And, you know, when I talk about insecurity, that's more about what is the driving force of never looking back and always moving forward. And so the conversations we always had around the dinner table at my house are what are we doing to be of service to the people that work for us? Because I never really heard the word employee. It was always team member. And then how do we continue to make ourselves better servants to the people and and the people we we employed? And so for me, that was always ingrained in me at a very young age. And I, I think that helped push my competitive spirit of always trying to make the people around me better so I could be the best version of myself. And I, I think that itch, you know, I was able to scratch that and to what I'm doing now just because it was a complete shift from what I was and it was one hell of a challenge. So well, so so we got to put context in this for the, the audience. Colin is CEO of an organization called Hyperquake. I should have done a better job of explaining that at the beginning. There is what Hyperquake is today, there is what you bought into when you joined the organization and they're not anywhere near the same entity. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about what it was and what it's become today? Cause it's fascinating conversion. Yeah, it shifted quite a bit. So I walked in October 23rd, 2006. Um, at that point we were really sort of in the throes of what I would call the, the next digital evolution coming out of what we'll call sort of the tech tech crisis and, and, the early 2000s, and then the shift to what it was when, when I joined the company in 06, which was digital marketing. You know, I, I was introduced to Hyperquake through my wife. She had a friend who was a partner here. He had done a, a pretty darn good job of building something that was unique and truly differentiated in the space. I walked in the door. I had no idea what it was that they did. I just know that they had something and they needed help growing it. 
and immediately walked in the door. I was wearing a black sport coat, black pants, white shirt, and a tie. And when I walked through the first door, for, through the door, you've heard me tell the story. Kid walked up and looked at me. He said, hey, are you the delivery guy from O'Charlie's restaurant for our lunch? <laughs> and he was wearing cargo shorts. And, you know, I think it was like a, a fish t-shirt and a hat on backwards. And I'm like, I like this place. I don't know what in the heck they do, but I can't wait to dig in and, and find out more. You know, that company in 06 and interactive gaming and clients like Paramount and Scripps and Time Warner and, and excuse me, Warner Brothers, you know, it was, uh, it was a totally different company then. And, you know, we've changed quite a bit since then. But when I walked into it, primarily our focus was helping pedal consumer brands digitally yeah. and, and really making stronger connections online. And, and today it's, it's, it's a radically different firm. Well, first of all, just put a bow around what it is you're, you, you would say you do today. And then more importantly, help the audience understand how you transitioned that and pivoted. And I would say probably pivoted several times. It's, it's not a pivot. It's, it's a series of those that I, that, <laughs> that I would call it I've, I've observed you make. Yeah, there's been a lot. So I'll try to sort of truncate this and pare it down. We move people to move product. You know, we sort of dabble in all parts of strategic creative consultation from execution all the way. If I start at the bottom and say execution and go to market to upstream. So we spend a lot of our time working with organizations in the B2B space, B2C space and direct to consumer space. And our job is to help organizations evolve internally first so they can understand and how to make stronger connections with the people outside their walls who they try to push product to. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but it, that's the fun work. And then the execution against those strategies ends up being what, as a consumer, what you see on shelf or just in market for any business, that execution, that visual representation, representation of what that might actually be and how it manifests itself in market is how we've moved from upstream to downstream. So when, when was the first real pivot? You know, it, it was digital marketing. It was uh, a form of a digital advertising agency, for lack of better words, right? I mean, that's essentially what you bought into. And then w when was the first real move? Yeah, the first real move and the shift away from that was 08. Okay. Driven by the downturn in the economy? Yeah. So, so I look, look at some of my predecessors and what, what happened. And you look at 2001 with September 11th and everything that impacted their business. And then you fast forward, you know, 08, 09, 010 and the financial crisis. And we had to take a really hard look inside. And I think Ed, that's, that's where you came in. When we started to take a look at who we were strategically, what was the real difference we were making with our clients and why were our clients choosing us in the first place and the ability to sort of contextualize right. their business problems and then start to shift and help those clients pivot and understand the world today outside their walls. 08 and 09 really gave us that new strategic foundation for future growth. That was a response to an external change. Do you think you would have gone that way anyways, or was the downturn in the economy something that just forced you to have to say, you know, and, and even though it might have been, not have been because you financially had no choice, but at least it caused you to just be disrupted and say, th this may not be sustainable. Well, that's a good question. I think it, it, I think my partner and I, Dan, at that point, you know, really, we had a gut for what needed to happen with the business. I, I don't think we had the courage at that point in our career to, because you see revenue coming in and you try to protect it. And then I, the one thing I'll say about my partner, Dan, was no, this 
this doesn't feel right. We have to have the hard conversations internally. And I think 08 and 09 forced our hand because our, our own clients were telling us what we were great at. We just needed help really creating the platform to have that. And yeah, it did. I, I think it forced us a little bit. I, I think it would have taken another two years. It's interesting because that's a classic example of so often entrepreneurs, business owners tend to sell what they're comfortable selling or what they've been comfortable making, even if the market shifts. And over time, you may very well lose touch with what your customers actually value that, you know, you you may be sending them an invoice for X, but they're actually paying you for Y. And that's kind of what was happening, wasn't it? I, yeah. And, 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 and I think what that did is it gave us a, lo- a lot more confidence in our gut. Yeah. Now, 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 since that time, I mean, we're, you know, we'll, we'll pivot on a dime. We had to have some financial hardships and some pain to really realize that, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe our gut is right. Now we needed a lot of help to get there and get it done, but uh, absolutely. So Colin, in your work, what you're doing now, if I understand this correctly, you're trying to affect everything the consumer sees, touches, experiences with your clients. So it's from the first moment I interact with you as a, as a consumer with whatever one of your clients is doing, you're trying to affect anything in a way that's moving people towards action that's beneficial to your clients. Absolutely. I think today there's so much noise in the system. And so how do you cut through that clutter? Yeah. I think there's a couple things. There's, there's, there's a, a phrase we have in our industry, which is that push or pull strategy. You're either trying to push content out to people or pull them towards you. Right. We believe it's, it's, it's much more cost productive to pull people towards you and then deliver a connected customer experience, whether that be online through, you know, what happens socially or on a website, physically, when you, when you interact with a product or a business in person um, and everything you do. So, so our, our whole philosophy is we want to help our clients deliver an unfractured experience and a consistent story for their customers. We, we do our job well if we teach our customers how to tell the right story to their customers or their audience. Yeah, right. Doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a customer per se or their audience, hopefully at an informative time in their decision-making process for whatever that would be. Yeah, and I'm, I'm getting really jazzed even just thinking about what you guys do because the, the other thing that I don't know that our audience fully appreciates is the thought leadership that's going on in Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio with retail and brands. Like people just don't think of Ohio as driving so much thinking on, you know, traditionally where, which would be coming from the coasts. And here we are, and you're playing with some big boys. I mean, we go to your website and you got PNG, you got cool sculpting, you got Nike, you got Cummins engines, Honeywell. Did you find them? Did you knock on their door? Did they find you? Or how, how do you, you're playing with the big boys? Yeah, that, you know, it's funny. Like we, we play with the big boys, but we, but first of all, you're right about Ohio. I mean, Ohio is an amazing place right now. And you see everything that's going on out West and on the East Coast. And a lot of people are starting to rethink their strategies on where they're going to be. And it was this whole second city concept, right? Yeah, right. Well, Cincinnati and Columbus represent so much to the consumer landscape. You mentioned a couple of those folks earlier and, you know, gosh, look, look at everything that what nationwide means to the city of Columbus. Look what Procter and Gamble means to the city of Cincinnati and they've imported talent and then they keep talent. And when that talent leaves, they go out and they start their own things 
or they export talent into other industries or other large organizations, and they take people with them. And, and so for us, you know, I always tell our clients, look, don't choose us because of the work we have in your space. Choose us for the diversity we have outside of it. You know, we have clients across the board. We have clients like Mike Albert Leasing, PNR Communication, the list goes on and on, and clients that you haven't heard of yet. We have clients like the, we've worked with the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. We've worked with Pure Romance. We, we're across the board. We, we sort of cover the spectrum. And, and it's because of the approachability and the ability to basically make stronger connections with their customers and just tell great stories. And, and anymore, a couple of things that are, that are sort of gone, it, it's nostalgia, right? And nostalgia is yeah. coming back. The art of customer service, I'm telling you, you know, one of the rules we have for our teams here are, look, you have a conversation with a customer every five days, not via text, not via Slack, right? Not via email. You have to pick up the phone and talk to people. And it's people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I'm telling you. So, you know, at the end of the day, we sell results and an experience. That's the bottom line. And, and you know, if you don't have that, we, you know, you're not going to be in business much longer, at least in our space and right now in, in a lot of industries. And you know what? We're real fortunate because we have a ton of great clients across the board. It doesn't matter their size. It just, you know, they're defined by their ability to basically have a lot of passion for what they do. And then we try to match that. Colin is responsible for a phrase that I've, some of my clients may have heard me use. I I didn't give him credit. And so I want to give it to him, give the credit to him now, which is he has clients that he calls churched and then those who are unchurched. And um, you want to explain the genesis of that comment? Well, I got to give John Lycom, who's one of our board members, credit for that, who's a retired executive from Procter & Gamble. And he sort of made a joke in a meeting year. I'm talking seven years ago. Yeah. He said, man, I, I don't know, you know, to your point, you've got the, the Honeywells of the world and the Nikes and, you know, all, all the, like the Teradatas and JP Morgans. And then the other clients I mentioned, you know, like a Mike Albert leasing or Sunsect and different brands you haven't heard of. And, and you know what? It's funny. It doesn't matter their size. You, you have clients that really get it and they understand that all their actions behavior and behaviors should have meaning and intention and that connection to their customers and their customers' customers is important. And those clients are churched. Yeah. They're very, they're few and far between. They're, I'd say maybe three out of every 10 people like really are in the practice of strategic branding. But the other seven to eight clients we serve aren't, but they want to be. Right. Those are unchurched. And trust me, I'm as unchurched as they get. I got a whole group of people. Well, I say this, they're not here. They're all working remote. But I have a whole bunch of people all over the country that are churched. I'm the most unchurched guy here. And that relatability, I think, really helps us when we're serving our clients. But I got to give credit where credit is due. John Lycom came up with that. I, I just used it to my own competitive advantage. Well, I, I love it. And I, I, I think it's wonderful to describing a client who understands the business proposition or the business value that you might be able to offer. And then somebody who wants, you know, a transaction, but may not understand the value that you create. And, and so it's, it's a, it's a very interesting way to think about the, the work to be done to, to, to can we convert them? <laughs> I, I was a little, I was a little worried about what you were going to say yeah. when you, when you said you had a quote. 
yeah. Well, there there are any number of them. Okay, we gotta we gotta talk a little bit about the organizational health component of your organization because that's I think that's the first real work I ever did for you and and Hyperquake was around that space, wasn't it? I think that that really. Yeah. Oh. I've done some professional management things, but the real the real meat of the stuff is helping you answer those six critical questions. And and so what you've always paid me the ultimate compliment by saying, I want you to come in and help me. I have no idea what you're going to do, but I don't really care. Just do what you think we need. <laughs> yeah, I got more of that on the docket too, Ed. So I, it's the most important work that I think any organization can do. I mean, hands down. It's, it's where personally I have the most passion. You know, Sherwood McVeigh, who's our chief strategic officer, uh, she shares that passion as well. You know, there's this whole phrase that we're toying around with right now. It's cultural branding. And I'll cheat. I'll say it's just the ed methodologies of basically driving cohesion amongst the team. And then we add branding on top of it. And it's the most important work you can do. I mean, look, Hyperquake in its current form would not exist if it weren't for Ed Epley. There's without question. We went through quite a bit of change. Like I said, I've even said before 07 and 08, it was like, what the hell am I doing here? How are we going to scale this thing? to all of a sudden we're making acquisitions and we're trying to integrate new teams, new habits and behaviors. And, you know, that, that kit of parts that you've always brought to the table has been simple. You know, sprint to the tough conversations, have dialogue and understand your superhuman strengths. And, and we do that now with our clients. You know, we'll have conversations with Mastercraft boat holdings around, you know, we're sitting in a room with a team of executives and we're having dialogue and we're talking about what keeps them up at night. And we just sprint to the tough conversation and then allow them to have it. So we've really become a catalyst for that dialogue. We really don't push it beyond to the level that you do, but, but at least we have, we're prepared now to have that dialogue and, and in some ways pretend like we actually know what we're talking about. But, but the reality is, at the end of the day, the branding toolkit that we, we pulled through this really helps. Well, listeners that have read my book will be familiar with your name because I actually write about you in the book and I talk about your success at, at managing and leading. And I would, I, I would also hold up Colin as a, a wonderful example of not feeling like he needs to be involved in every aspect of the business in order for the business to be successful. And, and I, I don't know when you learned that, if, that's, if that was intuitive or was that something you learned back at uh, your VDC days? Uh, I have to give Jeannie Bruce credit for that. So one of the original founding partners of Hyperquake, uh, she said she made a comment years ago, and it was probably around 07 or 08. And she really just sort of put my place, put myself in my place. And she said, you're a control freak. And I, I'll never forget when she said it, because it, it, there was some, you know, we had our moments and I love her like a sister. But she was always the one who kept me on my toes. And I, I think I realized, like in any good organization, scale is trust. And trust isn't something that you ask for. It, it, it just, you either have it or you don't. And, and I think when she said that, you know, it made me take a, a, a hard look on the inside. And I think if you go back to the VDC days, you know, look, I think honesty is huge. And I struggled with that for years as, as someone who was a young manager at Van Dyne Karate, you know, the balance between telling people what you think they want to hear. And, you know, we, we do our, uh, Ed, you've led us through those sessions before where you go around the table, your biggest strength and your biggest weakness. What's the one thing that that person needs to work on? 
you know, so if I go back to the Van Dyke karate days and, and a lot of what my manager, Chris Kimmett, would always tell me was you have to be more honest. And it's more about being honest with yourself, with, with what your true capacity is as a leader. Because if you try to make something up or shield that with words or actions that aren't yours, you're in trouble. And Chris, Chris taught me that. And then fast forward to Jeannie's comment. And then our sessions, I'll tell you, Holly Shoemaker, who's on our team, Holly will tell you, she'll, she'll tell me my greatest weakness was, I don't know what she would say today, is telling people what they want to hear. And, and I thought servant leadership was that. That's completely changed. And, you know, I don't believe that you ever fire someone. You actually, you were the one who made the wrong hiring decision. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And a lot of people don't agree with me, but I, I, I think it's our responsibility to develop people. And I think ultimately, yes, it started with the VDC days and it's led up to, to where we are today. And, and that's how we've created scale, I believe. Well, it's, it's been uh, remarkable to watch your maturing as a leader and, and somebody who's been able to get the very most out of people. And I would also hold you up as somebody who's done a remarkable job at working with people to help them figure out how to develop themselves and, and believing in them and sticking with them and, and continuing to share in their struggle as they try to develop themselves and, and not giving up very easily. I think you've shown tremendous patience and, and belief in folks, and I, I, I've seen it pay off for you. you. You've entertained several offers from other firms along the way in the last few years and, and then decided to pass on those. I don't want you getting into any details that you don't want to get into, but was that a tough decision to think about, you know, giving up your, some of your independence or, I mean, clearly you chose to remain independent, but you had some choices there. What, help us understand how you went through that and how you managed that. Somebody told me a long time ago, Ed, you're going to have to tell me you said this, but the genie's already out of the bottle. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't remember who said that. Oh, either. <laughs> I might've said it, but. <laughs> you baby. I watched, you know, a fourth generation family owned business. I watched what happened when I had to tell about 150 associates that the business had been sold. And it was, uh, that was probably, there, there are a few moments in my life and probably five that I can think of. And, and you've been involved in two of them that have been instrumental in, in, in my personal growth. So forget work, because for me, I don't, like work is an extension of, uh, it's just all connected anymore. And I think to answer your question, like, like when, when I had to share the news that we had sold to CentOS, who was our largest competitor at the time, and, and somebody who we admired and respected a great deal, but I made a living off of trying to kick their butt, and we just sold to them. And the look on their faces, I mean, folks at the time that were making six, seven, eight dollars an hour, you know, unloading 1,200 pound wash X, you know, washers and dryers, it was just like, and I had started to build equity over the years with them and I had to tell them. So fast forward to Hyperquake, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know this. I know that if we continue to operate like a high functioning team, this thing, this business is going to outlast me. And, you know, it's true. We had unsolicited offers. I mean, to the point where people were like, Hey, listen, I'm going to give you a letter of intent because of your reputational value. And, you know, five years ago, if you would have told me that, you know, three years from then, I, I'd be getting unsolicited offers for, you know, forget the monetary value, but, but, but just for the hard work we've done, I'd say, man, that, that is amazing. Because I think that's the true testament to everybody who comes in every day and does hard work. And the reality is, remaining independent allows us to be agile and flexible. 
And it gives us the type of leverage we need to, to cast a wider funnel to help more people. And, and it's, it's honestly, my wife would tell you this, it's not about the money. It's, it's, it's about the difference we make in people's lives and the ability to change their trajectory personally and professionally. I see growth. Growth is defined by our ability to continue to expand our reach and run a profitable business and allows us to do other things with that capital to, you know, invest in other ways for on behalf of our people and, and, and get involved in nonprofits. So for us, this has really been a, a great vehicle for us to basically live, live a better and more whole life. And, and that's what I think of it now. Three years ago, Ed, I didn't think that way. It was strictly the monetary value of the business. And, and today, what, what the Melissa Kellys and the Sherry Ernst and the Andrew Peters and the Dan Barzaks and Marty Kirstings and Molly Bakers and the Sheila Lewis's, the list goes on and on and on all the way down and the Ryan Bettinghouse's, what, they, what they've taught us is that we're not a family, but we're close. And we've become a place that people just love to be. And, and I don't see myself ever doing anything else anymore. Couple of years ago, I couldn't say that, but I, I absolutely love what we do. Well, I think I think facing the possibility of you know selling your business forces you to decide what you're really all about, and and uh, so you've you've gone through that test and and uh, and you've you've answered the question for yourself, and that's wonderful. You know, we always promise our listeners at least one proven practical idea that they can apply that helps them run a a more successful and sustainable business. So I'm, I'm asking you to think about all the things you know to be true and helping you run your business. If there's just one thing that our listeners could do to run a better business or even run a better team, what, what would it be in your mind? Your heart's going to tell you what your head hasn't figured out yet. Just sprint to it, man. Just sprint to it. Life's too short. And, you know, I've learned that over the last year, watching family members go through some things. And it's been tough. I mean, I have a brother-in-law that's a cancer survivor. Molly Baker, who you know, cancer survivor. That, I got to tell you, Rob Schoenfeld, Emily's brother, and Molly, you'll hear it in my voice. It, it gets me. It changed me. When Molly was diagnosed with cancer and Rob was diagnosed with cancer, it, it, it shook me pretty good because it realized, it made me realize how valuable life is. And for us, I think life's too damn short to sit around and wait for something to happen. Get your ass up off the chair, go have the tough conversations, and don't be afraid to make a decision. So I would say, listen to your heart. It's going to tell you what your head hasn't figured out yet. I don't know where I read it. It was, I don't know. I read it at an airport or somewhere. I'm not sure, but it's sort of been what drives me every day. Hopefully that helps. I love it. I really appreciate it. I love you, Colin. You've you've been a good love friend too, and a, and 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 someone who I've got tremendous respect for. He's he's quite an individual. If people want to reach out to you and learn more about either Hyperquake or anything that you shared, what's the best way for them to reach you, Colin? Oh, go to our website. Easy. Go to our website or contact page. You can just sort of you'll it's self-navigatable, but you'll find out inquiries here. Collaborate inquiries. Collaborate collaborates the best way. The emails go directly to me and uh, always always make time. Hyperquake, all one word. H-Y-P-E-R, Quake, all one word. And they're in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's a good man and he'll, he'll help you. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Ed Epley Experience, Colin. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, 
and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 